There's a beautiful song uh, that we often at least hear done instrumentally at Christmas time, if not uh, singing. I don't know that we've sung it this Christmas season, uh, but I do want to make mention of it because I'm aware that um, on this day that we generally celebrate as a day filled with joy and peace and hope, that there are some who come with a weary heart, a saddened heart. And I just want to offer a, a word of encouragement this morning. There's a hymn. Uh, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And if you've never paid attention to the words of this hymn, it's absolutely phenomenal. Just to read through it. And um, a little word of background. This was written by a man named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And uh, this was written at a time of great turmoil in his life. If I remember correctly, his wife uh, died in a fire, tragically. And one of his sons was either severely wounded or killed in a Civil War battle. And he's the, the record says that he was sitting on a Sunday, on Christmas morning, Sunday, and he heard the bells ringing when he penned the words of this hymn. So this is a man that had been through uh, severe trial. And as he's sitting there hearing these, these bells ring, I want you to, re- to we're going to read through just a couple of these verses. It begins, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet their songs repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the second verse, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And finally, then ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. This is a man that knew uh, the fires of tribulation in his life. And yet he pins these words of, of hope and peace. So this morning, uh, maybe not all is right in your life, but we have the promise that right will prevail and wrong will fail, right? So this morning, let's go to our Lord in prayer and let's thank Him for the promises that we have. Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning on a morning that we celebrate that brought such joy, some Uh, some 2,000 years ago of a season when our Messiah was born of a virgin, the one who came to save man from our sin, to bridge that impassable gap between you, a righteous, holy God, and us, wretched, sinful, wicked man. And Jesus is the one who has bridged that gap. And Father, not only that, but a promise was made that one day you will come and you will put an end to every type of wrong we witness every day the death that we, that, we rec- that we recognize in everybody's life, that, Lord, the sin and sorrow that all of us experience in this life, one day all of that will be put away forever. And we thank you for that. And, Father, we pray that you would just continue to give us strength in the days ahead to keep our eyes on our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ and know that he will be faithful to the promises that he has given to us, Lord. We pray that this season would... You would fill us with the peace that surpasses all understanding and joy that can only be explained by a living relationship with our 
great God and Savior through Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in His name. Amen. Let's stand and sing Song of Emmanuel. song of Emmanuel This the Christ you was long foretold Low in the shadows of Bethlehem Promise of dawn now our eyes behold God most high in a manger laid Lift your voices and now proclaim Great and glorious love has come to us Join now with the host of heaven. Come we to welcome Emmanuel, King who came with no crown or throne. Helpless he lay the invincible, maker of Mary, now Mary's son. Oh, what wisdom to save us all. Shepherds, sages before Him fall. Grace and majesty, what humility. Come on, bend it, we adore Him. Go spread the news of Emmanuel. Joy and peace for the weary heart. Lift up your heads for your King has come. Sing for the light overwhelms the dark. Glory shining for all to see. Hope alive at the gospel ring. God has made a way. He will have the praise. Tell the world His name is Jesus. Glory shining for all to see. Hope alive, let the gospel ring. God has made a way, He will have the praise. Tell the world His name is Jesus. First reading. Luke 1, 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him 
the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end of his kingdom. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Second reading, Luke 2, 1 through 7. Now it happened that in those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinus was governor of Syria, and everyone was going to be registered for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was with child. Now it happened that while they were there, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. Amen. Well, I come to you this morning from a house of mourning. Uh, those of you, uh, most of you have heard, or a lot of you have heard, that Don passed away uh, last night about midnight sometime in that time frame. We're not exactly sure. Uh, he passed in his sleep, and uh, we're just very thankful that he did not yeah, that he didn't uh, suffer any more, and um, he uh, just had such a love for God and a love for his word. So we're really thankful. Now, if my words get jumbled up here, uh, you'll understand it's been a very long night, and uh, uh, I'm a little bit, a uh, little bit, my sentences are going different directions. So, uh, but I do want to thank you so much for praying for our family. Uh, so many of you, and Joseph, I'm so glad that you started the service way that you did. You know, we need to recognize that there's a lot of grief and a lot of sorrow that has to be dealt with by so many families. And uh, so, you know, we are praying for each other, but we appreciate your prayers. And uh, I can tell you this, God's word is true. He stands by you uh, in the worst. And uh, cannot imagine facing something like this without the assurance of the salvation of the one that you love. So we're so grateful for Christ, our King. We want to exalt Him. I, I told Joseph, I said, let's just, let's sing, let's worship the Lord, and then I'll, I'll make this announcement because we wanted this to be about Don's Lord and His Savior. And so, so be it. Well, let's pray together, shall we? And then we're going to go to God's Word. 
Father, thank you for this day that you've created. Thank you that you've brought us together as your people to be able to worship the giving of the Son of God who came to this world, was born in a stable, was placed in a manger, and who was headed to a cross, came for that reason, to pay for our sins. And we're so thankful that in the face of death itself, we have life. Without Christ, we would perish. Thank you that he is full of grace and mercy. He offers his grace and mercy to every single person here today. And I pray, Lord, that if there would be one person here who's without Christ, who's never called upon him and never fled to him and sought refuge in His salvation. I pray that today would be the day. Humble the pride of man, Lord. By Your Holy Spirit, through the preaching of Your Word, humble man's pride, so that he calls out upon the name of the Lord and is saved. Thank You, Father, so much for Your strengthening grace. We need it now. We ask for Your help. And we say to You, our great God, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. My title this morning is, What If Herod Had Found the Child Jesus? I asked Joseph if we would sing uh, We Three Kings. Uh, I will say, don't check that for uh, complete scriptural accuracy, but it is such a beloved uh, hymn that we sing. And so I asked him to sing it because we're actually going to be looking at the text that tells us about these, what that song calls, Wise Men. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 23. I'm reading from the LSB if you want to hop on an electronic device and follow me word for word there. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. I appreciate Brother Dan reading our scripture for us this morning. Matthew chapter 2, let's begin at the first verse. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and carefully determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Now after hearing the king, they went their way. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east was going on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night, and departed for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod, in order that what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had carefully determined from the Magi. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she was refusing to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the district of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken through the prophets would be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What if Herod had found the child Jesus? You say, Pastor, that's a dark thought. Uh, you know, this is a bright season. Uh, come on, uh, such, a, such a dark, not holly jolly thought. Well, I'll give you that. It's not the brightest and holly jolly of thoughts, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and I'll explain why as we get toward the end of this sermon. Let's consider Herod, shall we, from four angles. Beginning with Herod the man. Herod the man. History has bestowed on him the title Herod the Great. Officially, he was Herod the First. He ruled from around 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. The family name Herod shows up repeatedly in the New Testament. We read of four Herods actually in the New Testament, including Herod Philip II, who's called Philip the Tetrarch in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. So why was he called, this Herod the First? why was he called Herod the Great? Well, here's a history in 90 seconds. Herod the Great was the son of a high-ranking official in the Hasmonean dynasty, which ruled Palestine 
as an independent kingdom. He was an Edomite. That means he was a descendant of Esau. But chose to be publicly identified as a Jew, although he was unfaithful to observe Jewish law. In 41 BC, Herod the Great was named governor of Galilee. Supporting Rome in its conflict with the Jewish Hasmonean dynasty, he was given the title, now notice, remember that, given the title king of the Jews by the Roman Senate, and then charged with the responsibility of conquering Judea so that he could rule as a client king. After about three years of fighting, Herod was victorious in 37 or 36 B.C. As king of Judea, his primary directive was to carry out the wishes of Rome, which wanted to maintain peace and foster goodwill among the local inhabitants who'd been conquered. And if that didn't work, then Rome would resort to overwhelming force. Although he heavily taxed the people, Herod tried to create goodwill by enacting policies to bring about economic prosperity and by building public works, including the incredible artificial port city of Caesarea, the fortress of Masada, and fortifications around Jerusalem. He also built a magnificent palace for himself called the Herodium. In order to gain favor with the Jews, he also greatly enlarged and updated the temple in Jerusalem to a size and magnificence it had never known before, even under Solomon. This renovated structure became known as, can anybody guess what it was called? Herod's Temple. He also married Miriam, a Hasmonean princess, and appointed her brother as high priest. So, why was Herod called the Great? Well, some say it was because of these impressive building projects that you heard me just uh, describe. Others say it was because of the length of his reign. One historian I read suggests that it was simply a way of distinguishing him from some of the uh, sons and grandsons that he had of the same name in the sense of he was Herod the Greater or Herod the Older. Or maybe it was because Herod regarded himself as head of the Jews throughout the whole of the Roman Empire, which consisted of about 10% of the population. Regardless, we do know this. He was not called the great because of his character. Listen to this. Herod always feared potential rivals. He had his wife's brother, Aristobulus, the high priest, drowned in the swimming pool in his palace. He put to death 46 members of the Sanhedrin. He killed his mother-in-law. He also had his wife, Miriam, murdered, along with at least two of his sons, because he considered them potential rivals with legitimate claim to the throne thanks to their Hasmonean lineage. Augustus Caesar is reported to have said, better to be Herod's dog than to be Herod's child. This was Herod the man. Now, can you imagine a guy like this getting wind of the fact that suddenly these magi from eastern lands have shown up in Jerusalem and they are poking around seeking the whereabouts of a child born king of the Jews. Remember, Herod had been given the title king of the Jews. It was not his by birth, but it was this 
child's throne by birth. So this meant Herod's displacement. This meant a whole new regime. This meant a different administration. And this would have been tremendously upsetting, wouldn't it? For a man like Herod. Herod the man. Who at this stage in his career was old, declining, paranoid, jealous, fearful. And yet, he was as dangerous as he ever was, if not more so in his old age. Which brings us second to Herod the threat. Would you look at verse 3? And when Herod the king heard this, well, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When he heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would all Jerusalem be troubled along with Herod? You all know that old saying, when mama ain't happy. What is it? Ain't nobody happy when mama ain't happy. Well, when Herod wasn't happy, nobody was happy because they always knew that when he was upset, when he was troubled, you could count on a fresh round of crimes coming at his bloodthirsty hands. And sure enough, verse 4, He gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He said, you tell me where this Christ is to be born. They said, in Bethlehem. So he secretly called the Magi, verse 7, carefully determined from them when the star appeared. He's doing his calculations, you know. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, you go search for this child. When you find him, you come back and tell him. Because, oh, I've got worship in my heart. I want to worship him too. Now, after hearing this, off they go and they find the child. They fall down into worship. And then they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. It's amazing to me. You know, these men were wise, but apparently they didn't see through Herod. Kind of gives you an indication that they were going to go back. But the, the, uh, the warning was, don't do that. And so they departed for their own country by another way. Do you see the character of the man and do you see the threat? Pretending to be one thing. I want to worship the new king while intending something very different. I want to kill him. He was a cold and calculating killer, this Herod. I mentioned earlier that he had Aristobulus, the high priest, drowned. Would you like to know how he did that? The first century Jewish historian Flavius Josephus tells us exactly how he did it. He uh, invited Aristobulus for a dinner and then encouraged him to go for an after-dinner swim. And uh, as Aristobulus got in the pool... Herod gave his servants the order to go in there and act like you're playing with him, just playfully, you know, and dunk him once and let him come back up. And 
<laughs> duck him again and hold him down a little bit longer and let him come up and duck him again. And that's what he did, what they did until they drowned him. And then, of course, Herod feigned, oh, just tremendous mourning. And he threw Aristobulus a, a, a grand, lavish state funeral. To mourn the accidental drowning. That was Herod the man, Herod the threat. Now third, Herod the killer. Look at verse 16. Then Herod saw, when he saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. Oh, you can imagine. And sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its vicinity. So we're talking this little town, right? And then all these baby boys anywhere in the vicinity of that town who were two years old and under, according to the time which he had carefully determined from the Magi. Even as a young child, you see, the Lord Jesus was a terror to this tyrant. Now Herod's order here is known as the Massacre of the Innocents. I-N-N-O-C-E-N-T-S. Innocent. Plural. These little children. His bloodlust, his eagerness to kill these children, rendered these poor little children unknowing martyrs for Christ. But they were the first. By the way, there's an English lullaby that dates back to the 16th century that actually memorializes these children. Do you know it? The Coventry Carol. How many of you know that? Do you know the Coventry Carol? Only a few? Let, let, hold on a second. I took a real risk of not turning my phone off, that it would go off in the middle of my sermon, and it hasn't so far. But listen, just, I don't know if you can hear this or not. This is what that sounds like. See if you recognize it. heard it, but I do, I'll be honest, I didn't know the, the title myself. Bear in mind the child Jesus was maybe six months to a year old by this time. But Herod orders the deaths of all the little boys from two years old down. He's taking no chances, is he, of missing his target? Given the population in and around Bethlehem at the time, the estimates range from anywhere from 20 to 50 baby boys murdered by Herod. Unfortunate, but to his mind, it was just the cost of doing business. 
the remorseless cruelty of Herod the killer. But fill in the blank for me, will you? The wages of sin is death. And that brings us last forth to the to Herod the dead. Herod the dead. The man, the threat, the killer, the dead. For all he accomplished, being a major Roman client king of Judea, rebuilding Jerusalem's temple, growing the economic might of Judea, developing agricultural projects, rebuilding Jerusalem's water supplies, constructing his own magnificent temple, building Masada, creating a relatively stable government during an especially turbulent time, even supporting the financially troubled Olympic Games. For all of his accomplishments, verse 19 mentions succinctly and unceremoniously. You see it? Verse 19, he died. See it? As the poet said, death lays his icy hand even on kings. Scepter and crown must tumble down. And we know this because Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. So Herod the dead. Now scripture is silent on the way that Herod died, but secular history is not. Josephus records that Herod died eaten with worms at the age of 71 after a reign of 40 years, having endured such excruciating, lingering, and loathsome diseases as rendered himself rendered him intolerable to himself and to others also. So he had a miserable, torturous death. You know that song that we sing, And though the wrong seems off so strong, God, what? is the ruler yet. Herod the man, Herod the threat, Herod the killer, Herod the dead. Which brings us now to the obvious answer, right? To the question. If Herod had found Jesus the child, he would have killed him. I mean, obviously he would have killed him. He, he, he killed, what, 20, 30, 40, 50 other little boys trying to kill one specific little boy. And the Lord's angel confirms the answer in verse 13. Telling Joseph, point blank, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. For, quote, Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him, end quote. What if Herod had found the child Jesus would have killed him? No question. He said, now, Pastor Greg, there you go again. You started the sermon. Dark. This is a light time of year. This is a bright season. Don't you know that Christmas is about... Parties and presents and snowmen and fudge and eggnog and Christmas trees and Christmas lights and Christmas stockings hung by the chimney with care and hopes that St. Nicholas soon will be there. Don't you know these things? You know, holly jolly. Listen, I know it's traditional. 
But I also know none of that's biblical. That's our stuff. It's grown up around what the Bible tells us about what we, we would call the first Christmas. And I know, too, that not only is it not biblical, but for many, many people in this world, it is not even faintly, remotely connected to reality. You know, we've been watching now for years, haven't we, this war in Ukraine? The latest estimates I saw, 400,000 Ukrainians have been killed in action, at least 400,000. 50,000 Russians. This is a borderlands war that has done nothing but leave Ukraine devastated. Its people are they're starving over there in bitter cold. And meanwhile, oligarchs have lined their pockets with billions of dollars in quote-unquote foreign aid. And now the West, it's dawning on the West. This is a dead end. How can we get out of there? Don't talk to that part of the world about any holly jolly Christmas. Don't talk to West Africa about a holly jolly Christmas, specifically central Nigeria. I don't know if you know about Nigeria, but 90% of all Christian persecution deaths in 2022, going back to that year, happened in Nigeria. It's a slaughterhouse in Nigeria with Christians at the hands of Muslim killers. December the 20th, just a few days ago, these Islamic militants launched another brutal attack, killed more Christians. I'd encourage you to go to truthnigeria.com and check some things out there. Don't talk to that part of the world about any holly jolly Christmas. Do you see where I'm going with this? And I'll tell you what, to many in our own part of the world, no holly jolly Christmas. I'm looking at a headline from The Hill, dated 12-15-23. It says, Homelessness in the U.S. surges to the highest recorded level. It has a picture of a man who's on a park bench, Sleeping, he's got a Target shopping cart crammed with stuff, and he's covered himself up in an American flag. Then another story this week reported by NBC News, according to research conducted by Brown University, since 9-11, four times as many U.S. service members and veterans have died by suicide than have been killed in combat. Our service personnel taking their lives at record numbers. So you tell me, which is more connected with reality this Christmas? The holly jolly thing? Or what some might call the dark biblical record? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll take the dark biblical record. Because as a Christian, I'm not afraid of the dark. Friends, if Herod had found the child Jesus, he would have killed him and evil would still have no answer. Not then, not now, not ever. But Herod was prevented, wasn't he, from finding the child. Did you notice? 
despite his best efforts every time, he was supernaturally obstructed from being able to target Jesus with the precision that he needed in order to eliminate him. Why? I'll tell you why. Because God was working out his salvation plan. That plan to conquer the dark. You see, and no evil human being or amount of evil human beings can overturn, stop, prevent what God is going to do to overturn the dark. At the Father's will, Jesus Christ left the riches of heaven, became poor, was born in a stable so that 33 years later he might hang on a cross as a sacrifice for all who would repent and believe upon Him. Which means, don't you see, that the day is coming when God is going to make everything sad in this world come untrue. That's why Christians aren't afraid to look at what's sad or to look at what's dark. At Christmas? Because the day is coming when all that is going to become untrue. When Revelation 21.3 says the tabernacle of God will be among men. And He will dwell among them. And they shall be His people. And God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Are you listening? Every tear from their eyes, He's going to wipe them away from our eyes. And there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. So, so this Christmas, scoot over, Magi. Let me have some ground beside you. So I can fall down with you and worship the King. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that Herod could not find the child, Jesus. Thank you that that wicked man met his just end when he closed his eyes as the king of the Jews. He closed his eyes to the king of the Jews. Thank you that you're a mighty God and you will overthrow all your enemies and all the tears that your people in this world have wept. Those tears will be dried every last one and be replaced with such a joy that it will be indescribable and a joy that will never end. Oh, we look forward to that day. God, I pray You'll make of men and women and young people in this room, make of them devout, devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. Help us in 2024 to live for Christ to, to declare our colors, to fly the flag under which we march, the banner of the cross. We pray it 
that He might be praised and honored and glory now and forevermore. In His name, Amen.